Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. We are going to be continuing our series on common Christian problems. I've emphasized several times, but I'll do it again. Christians have problems. Uh, we are in the Valley of Tears, and we struggle with various problems, and Christians have things at our disposal to help solve these problems, live with these problems, and overcome these problems. And today we're going to talk about a very frequent Christian problem, and that is money frictions in marriage. There was a uh, survey given, and it was trying to figure out what's the top argument starter uh, in marriages, and particularly by the number of years you were married. In other words, if you were engaged, uh, newly married, married for, say, a decade or more, maybe even married for a few decades, what do you argue about, and what's the trigger that starts the arguments? And the spouses were given this question, name the one thing that you and your spouse argue about most. What do you think the response was? Well, no matter how many years a couple is married, money arguments are the number one argument starter. And it's very interesting. I'm looking here, and it's all graphed out, uh, arguments over career, and generally the highest uh, level of arguments over careers is during the engagement process. Uh, arguments over in-laws, six to ten years. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but that's that. Um, chores, arguments over chores, five years or less. The number two argument was over children. And one thing I simply can't figure out, and maybe you can help me with this, but children was the number two topic, no matter if you are married five years or less or 32 years or more. So if you could help me out, this is regarding a future broadcast, but what issues about children-focused arguments do you and your spouse argue about most. Uh, and send me a, a very brief email. I don't read anything on this longer than one paragraph. It can be one sentence. It can be one word. But send it to askthehost at gmail.com. And I'm not asking what do you argue about most. I'm talking about arguments over children and what topics specifically relating to children do you argue about most. But come back to the money arguments. The money arguments, again, go right through the various stages of marriage from the engagement process all the way through being married three decades or more. It's the number one argument starter. And there's a money challenge for couples in every generation. Why is this? Well, you have two individuals two separate individuals that are coming together, forming a family and blending finances. And I compare it to shifting a stick shift without a clutch. Now, people don't drive stick shift anymore, it seems. But in any case, you need a clutch to make it go smoothly, and often it doesn't. 
Now, in addition just to just the in two individuals blending, the two individuals, husband and wife in a marriage, come from two different families. And every family has a certain way of handling money, investments, saving, and spending. And we are affected by our family of origin, the family we grew up in. And we have two different ones. And it's very easy for particularly a newlywed couple to expect the spouse to have the same background orientation regarding saving and spending and whatnot that they have. And it could be vastly different. This is why there's should be some pretty good questions and discussions and communications in the premarital stage, but a lot of times it happens after that, and these graphs kind of are, are screaming that fact at me and I'm looking at them. Now, in addition to two individuals, two family backgrounds, two individuals also can have two significantly different personalities. I call them financial personalities. Uh, some people are savers. They, they just don't like spending a whole lot. If there's a little extra money, we save it. Others like, well, we spend it, maybe even if we don't have it. But you have savers and spenders, and some people like high-risk investments, some like the ultra-conservative. And the interesting thing, if you come from a larger family, you'll recognize that siblings from the same family can have vastly different approaches to finances. I've seen it in my own family. I have one brother and one sister. We were all different. Um, I have eight kids, and they're different. So you have all these differences coming together trying to find a unity in marriage. And this is something that applies in every generation. Now, really what caught my attention today and, and what I'd like to focus on is in addition to these very significant challenges to find harmony and unity in marriage regarding finances in every generation, it's the number one argument starter and everything else, I believe here in 2020, as we then move into 2021 and even following, we're going to have some very unique money challenges for married couples that is going to have the potential to greatly increase the stress upon family finances. And since family finances already are a cause of stress in marriage, we don't want it to go into overload, but we should know what's ahead. The Time Magazine cover just about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, is entitled the Great Reset. Now, I've been reading about the Great Reset for several months. I heard people were planning this, but I thought, eh, maybe this is just, you know, some people a little stayed up too late at night, had too much coffee or a little paranoid or something. But, you know, on the cover of Time magazine isn't like a conspiracy theory or trying to keep something secret. The Great Reset was talking about a comprehensive worldwide change to things as a result of the coronavirus. And they say the coronavirus is actually an opportunity 
for the Great Reset, for global governance, the changes in the world economies, the, and laws, and climate change, and everything else. This is they're they're gunning for 2021 to begin a Great Reset. Now, something initially disturbed me, but I kind of went to sleep on it because I thought, well, maybe it's just a quirk. But Henry Kissinger has influenced a whole lot of presidents and foreign policy and basically United States relation to the rest of the world during the course of his career. He wrote an article early on in the coronavirus outbreak that this, again, is an opportunity for a change in the entire framework that's been around for about 500 years, the way that the nations of the world relate to each other. And he's talking about kind of a bye-bye national sovereignty. And he wrote a 420-page book on global governance. Global governance means that the nations, like the United States of America, submits itself to a world government. And I'm thinking, ay, 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 this, this is dangerous stuff. And then you have the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. And again, he, you know, what did the World Economic Forum do? He's also talking about the Great Reset. In fact, he was featured in Time magazine. And he's talking about the whole change in the way we look at life, world, the uh, relations with nations, the economy, unemployment, what do we do with that? And, and all of this was in the works, so to speak, before the coronavirus outbreak. But all of these efforts now at the Great Reset are saying that the coronavirus is providing an opportunity for this to be implemented. Here in the United States and in other countries, everybody's heard about Bitcoin and the digital currencies and stuff. Now they're talking about governments creating a digital currency. There are those in this country talking about a digital currency that will be created out of thin air. In other words, you're not even printing worthless money. You're basically creating money using a computer, and it's, it's virtual money, and it will be sent to cell phones. Now, when you start talking about global governance and you start talking about you know, uh, digital money on your cell phone. Well, if you have me jaywalking in communist China today, you'll find a certain amount of money is extracted from your bank account as you're fine. You don't have any say in it. You don't say, well, I was trying to rescue a, a mother and child who were in need or something like, no, it's just gone. Um, I personally believe that global governance is going to look a lot like communist China and not a whole lot like what we're used to in the United States of America. Also being bandied about is a universal basic income, UBI. What is that? Everybody gets a check. If you can create money using a computer, just imagine, you know, and this isn't like monopoly money, which is maybe worth, what, 25 cents, you know, that you can buy all of the boardwalk. No, this is free. You can create money for free. Now, will it be worth less? Yes, of course, but universal basic income, since you can create so much money, 
it's basically a program, I call it socialism on steroids, where you just send everybody money, send everybody a check every month. And it's a way to alleviate the mass unemployment due to lockdowns. Now, it was very interesting to me, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but during the middle of the coronavirus lockdown this past year, the Family Life Center was hit by a tornado. And in fact, it's taken us uh, six and a half, seven months to uh, rebuild, reconstruct everything. And so I've had the opportunity of talking with small business owners, helping us put things together and had just a great crew of people helping us. And it's very interesting. Uh, people know what we're trying to do for families and such like that from a Catholic viewpoint. Uh, people who even don't have any faith, at least that I would discern, have been very supportive. But in any case, I've mentioned this a few times to these small business owners during the lockdown. I say, it almost seems like someone wants to destroy the American middle class. Very interesting. Silence followed. It touched something deep. And then not only affirmed what I said, but they're, they're basically feeling that they're going up a very steep hill that somebody's trying to roll back the great middle-class miracle, so to speak, that the United States has produced, unlike anything in human history, and they feel it's under assault. So in any case, a coronavirus lockdown, we know, creates stress. And uh, by April, um, when things were starting to really... Uh, crank up for the coronavirus. It started in, in, in March, but in April, it became a lockdown. And everything but non-essential businesses uh, were allowed to remain open. And if you happen to live in Denver, uh, of course, a pot shop, an abortion clinic, or a liquor store was an essential business. But uh, churches, huh, shut them down. So what happened is that the unemployment rate, and this directly affects family finances. If you have an unemployed breadwinner in a family, it creates stress in family finances. And the unemployment rate just during this past lockdown hit the highest levels that have been in the United States since the Great Depression. This is very serious stuff. Now, what do we do about it? Hang on, we're going to get to that. But we want to talk about what do finances do uh, to a marriage. Well, we know it creates arguments and discord. No matter what generation and what time period, even times of great prosperity. Maybe sometimes prosperity causes more of it. But we do know that during the lockdown, that levels of anxiety and depression tripled tripled. Now, if you're already having arguments, let's say over money, and you triple the levels of anxiety and depression, which, you know, it's basically not setting you up for a very cheerful outcome to your argument, 
it, it's going to create all kinds of problems. And not only did anxiety and depression increase, but we had increases, vast increases in suicide rate, drug use, drug overdose, alcohol abuse, and any and all of these things combined have an, a weighty load upon marriages, which already have a key struggle with finances. So here's my threefold money friction formula. Number one, you take the economics. By that I'm talking about, and particularly this environment with lockdowns in the past and maybe coming in the future, economic shutdowns, layoffs, unemployment, stock market sell-offs, and loss of business. Okay, So you have the economic, and then coupled with the economic, you have number two, anxiety. Number three, depression. So you add them up. Economic plus anxiety plus depression. That equals some explosive money fights. And if you add substance abuse to that, drugs, alcohol abuse, whatever, then you have a fourfold uh, money friction. And then you have some pretty serious money fights going on in marriage. Now, I'm just going to, and I'm trying, I'm a Boy Scout, by the way. I'm not a new Boy Scout. I'm the old kind of Boy Scouts. And we were taught to be prepared. That that uh, one of the greatest lessons I learned, it was on Operation Northwind, and we went out in freezing weather in the middle of the winter. And for actually months, we had prepared, first of all, our knowledge of what we would would face, and then we learned skills in order to meet that challenge, and then we went up and spent the weekend in freezing weather, um, iced over ponds and lakes and uh, camping on snow, and did just fine because we were prepared. And I want you to be prepared, and what I'm saying, or about to say, You know, this isn't cast in stone, but it doesn't hurt to be prepared because if things turn out easier than what it could be and what I may be describing, then it's okay. It's not going to be a big deal. You'll be you'll be fine. But let's just say that Vice President Joe Biden ends up being elected president of the United States. And I know if you're watching the media, you'll say, well, you know, he's already president elect. I saw last night that there's a big thing stage where he was talking from the office of president-elect. There's no such thing as office of president-elect in our government. And that was just a TV set. Um, It's not till December 14th that the electors for the electoral college meet and cast their final ballots. So the fact that the U.S. Catholic bishops, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, Jeb and George Bush, and many others already congratulated Vice President Biden as becoming the president-elect, it is very much within our system of government that um, this issue and controversy following the election and questions We have time between now and December 14th before the final decision is made. The TV networks do not decide presidential elections, just so you know. And then after December 14th, the results of the Electoral College go to Congress on January 6th. So we got a while here. 
and Congress meets in a joint session and they count up the electoral votes. Now, what happens if the president and vice president, like some of these countries that were given to Vice President uh, Biden, end up becoming in play and no one really gets the majority of 270 electoral votes? What happens then? Well, the House selects the president and the Senate selects the vice president. So in that case, we would probably have President Biden and Vice President Pence. Boy, that would be some kind of team to uh, work with. But in any case, Vice President Biden has already set up a very comprehensive plan to tackle the coronavirus. In the news, it's his like number one big deal that he's going to be tackling. And if part of that is a shutdown, we could have drastic, drastic economic consequences. You know, there are alternatives than just shutting everything down. Certainly certain populations and demographic groups have to be protected. But there are examples like the nation of Sweden or the state of South Dakota, which during the whole lockdown declared itself open for business. It wasn't so cold up there. I'd recommend people move there if they're wanting to get away from some of the crazy states. But in any case, we could face severe economic downturn and all of the coronavirus lockdown phase two, then you have the economic problems plus the anxiety problems plus the depression problems plus the substance abuse problems coupled with the money frictions that are already there in marriage, and it could simply be overwhelming. Now, just hang with me a second. I'll give you some practical recommendations. But in addition to what I've already mentioned, at some point, and I have no idea when, we could simultaneously have a financial crisis, a debt implosion. The United States has run up the largest amount of debt, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, let me know, but the largest amount of debt in the history of mankind. We're in uncharted waters. And what could happen and will eventually happen is that the United States dollar is the world's reserve currency. In other words, the world's trade goes on using dollars. And as a result of that, foreign countries are very happy to buy our debt. And they buy our debt. We get money we really didn't earn, and we have a great time. Well, the time's coming where nations like Russia and China and the nations they trade with are starting to trade not using U.S. dollar. If the U.S. dollar loses its reserve currency status, we'll have economic problems equal to the coronavirus lockdown problems. And you see it could compound to a degree that um, very hard to imagine, but it's very serious, serious stuff. So what do you do? I'm going to be sharing with you next episode on how to argue about money, okay, how to argue about money with your spouse, but without alienating each other so that you still love each other, okay? That's that's the key. You can have differences, but you can still love each other. But here's, here's my three recommendations to reduce financial stress during the 
economic challenges that we could be facing. Number one, maintain medical insurance. You know, uh, when you get stressed financially, think, what can we cut, okay? And it's not the credit card spending or the Netflix bill or something like that. It's, well, let's just drop the medical insurance. We're pretty healthy. You know, 66% of all bankruptcies were tied to medical issues. And either the high cost for the medical care itself or the time out of work, uh, you want to keep your medical insurance. It's really important because medical care has reached astronomical levels and it can easily bankrupt any family. Number two is maintain term life insurance. Uh, term life insurance is it's basically insurance that if the breadwinner or breadwinners of a family die, the term life insurance is usually a, a, of a sufficient amount to support that family at least until the children are grown and out of the house type of thing. And some of the best term life insurance uh, sold anywhere is sold by the Knights of Columbus. I don't have it, but I do know the Knights of Columbus have great term life insurance, and they don't pay me anything for saying that. Maintain term life insurance. I just, I get so um, nervous when somebody, uh, a widow writes me of one of the men in our Catholic fatherhood circles has unexpectedly passed away and left a family behind. I just, uh, I just, ah, he was prudent and left us a generous term life policy so that family is taken care of. It's just, I hold my breath even reading an email from a, a widow on something like that. Maintain your medical insurance, maintain your term life insurance. And then three, I know this sounds very un-American, but give very serious consideration to living beneath your means. You're making a financial decision. Make it prudent. You're making financial decisions about spending for this Christmas or buying a new house or getting a new car. Why not get one that represents something beneath your means rather than over your means? Because when soon as you go and max out your debt levels and such, um, then you're maximizing stress. And when you go way over that, you're going to escalate stress. You don't need it. And, you know, the government has artificially low interest rates and is pouring millions of funny money into the economy, and it's ballooning assets, home prices, um, car prices. Uh, you might have the opportunity during this boom phase, this high, the stock market yesterday reached an all-time high. Well, it's like a high on drugs at some point there's going to be a contraction, and you don't want to have you, your family, and your family's finances caught in the middle of that. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 311 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.